Religious Feminism Podcast, and we're going to talk about having a feminist Hanukkah, and I will let my guest introduce herself. Hi, I'm Judith Rosenbaum, and I am the CEO of the Jewish Women's Archive. Welcome to the podcast, Judith. Can you tell us a little bit about the Jewish Women's Archive? Sure. Um, We are a digital archive that was founded to document the stories of Jewish women and elevate their voices and make sure that when we tell the story of the Jewish people and of women, we are including Jewish women's voices. Wonderful. I work on a very similar project with Mormon women called The Exponent, so it's great to have many different communities working on elevating women's voices. So tell me, what are your favorite parts of the Hanukkah story? Well, I have to say I'm actually not a huge Hanukkah fan, to be honest. (laughs) Well, that's Um, great. Let's hear why not. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think that, first of all, it's not a major Jewish holiday. It's only become emphasized because of its proximity to Christmas. And so in American culture, it's kind of become the um, kind of Christmas, uh, you know, it's kind of become the, like, Jewish response to Christmas. So that has made it seem more significant than it actually is. It's actually a pretty minor holiday in the Jewish calendar. We just finished our big round of holidays in the fall with the Jewish New Year and Yom Kippur and the and Sukkot and things that come after that. Um, so actually, December is usually not a huge holiday time for us, but it gets kind of emphasized because of its proximity to Christmas. You know, and I think it's also kind of an interesting um, way that Hanukkah has been represented in contemporary culture because it's actually a story that's about resisting assimilation, but then it has been played up in this kind of Christmassy way that is actually very much about assimilation. So there's a kind of tension inherent there, um, which I think is kind of ironic. Um, but yeah, that does sound ironic. Because <laughs> um, it's really a story about, you know, about a small band of kind of religious fanatics who were unwilling to be, uh, to go along with kind of Greek ways and and fought the pressures of assimilation in pretty radical ways. But I will say that at the Jewish Women's Archive, the piece of the story that we really like to tell is the kind of shadow narrative of Hanukkah, which used to be a, a, in the time of the rabbis was considered like an equal Hanukkah story to the story of Judah, Mac- of Judah Maccabee. Um, and that's the story of Judah. Um, and it's kind of fun to have a uh, holiday that has this female heroine um, who comes from a, a biblical book that was actually not included in the Hebrew canon. It's apocryphal in our tradition, um, but gives us this strong character who sets out to save her people. So she was, this story was um, chosen by the rabbis to be a kind of uh, second Hanukkah story because there's certain parallels between the story of Judah Maccabee and the story of Judith. And, um, and we enjoy getting to have this female heroine who doesn't give up faith, who uh, takes great personal risk to save her people, um, and who kind of turns the tide in the war between um, Israel and uh, the Assyrian Greeks. Can you tell that story for those listeners who aren't familiar with the story of Judith? Sure. Um, So this story is taking place couple hundred years BCE, second or first century BCE, um, 
And uh, Judith is this pious widow from a town that is kind of on um, the border of where the uh, Israelites are fighting the uh, Assyrian armies of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and uh, basically the the Jewish people are kind of losing the war and about to give up and kind of call out to God and say, "We give us, you know, five days to we'll pray and we'll, um, you know, we'll really wait for you to come save us. And at a certain point, um, she says, well, I'm not going to wait around. Let's, I will be an instrument of God and I will help um, turn the tide of this war. So, she sneaks out under the cover of darkness with her maid and um, goes behind the Assyrian lines and goes to the uh, top general, Holofernes, and um, she's, you know, has, she's been a widow and has been kind of dressed as a widow for years, but she prettys herself up and she goes out and she uh, infiltrates his tent and she plies him with food and wine. And then when he falls asleep, she takes his sword and she beheads him and then she sneaks out with his head and puts it on a post so that his armies will see it when they wake up in the morning. Um, and that throws the army into confusion. And so the Israelites launch a surprise attack and they win. And so she's seen as kind of the instrument of both. She's both seen as a representative of faith and courage and also the kind of instrument through which God turns the tide of the war. So, it's a story of a woman who's bold, who's brave. It's a bit of a gory story. Probably doesn't make for great decor. But yes. <laughs> Although there have been there have been many wonderful um, paintings of the story of Judith. She's really a favorite of painters, I think, because it's so dramatic. And um, and many of those paintings are quite gory, but some of them are also very powerful and quite beautiful as well. So um, there are definitely lots of interesting images that you can find uh, that depict the story. And I think also one of the things that I really love about the story of Judith is that it's very clear, and this is from my perspective as a historian, um, I'm not a biblical scholar, but I am a historian, and um, there are so many Jewish women who have been bold leaders, many of them not even religious people, like I'm thinking, for example, of Emma Goldman, who was an anarchist and kind of rejected religious practice, but in her memoir, she talks about being inspired by by the figure of Judith and thinking of herself as a modern-day Judith. So I think that there are a lot of women, and particular Jewish women, though I'm sure not only, who have called on the figure of Judith as a kind of personal inspiration, as a model of faith and courage and boldness and the willingness to take risk to save your people. And power, because what she did worked. And right. I can see that in Emma Goldman as well. I can I can definitely see parallels there in the way she thought about Judith. Absolutely. All right. So as we get ready for this American-ish <laughs> Jewish holiday, which coincidentally falls while lots of people are on break for Christmas, not for Hanukkah, but... <laughs> But here we are, and we've got this. How can we incorporate feminism into our holiday traditions and celebrations? Hmm. Well, I think it's, you know, always looking for the uh, female role models in stories. And in this one, we have one right there. So thinking about, you know, the story of Judith, both the biblical story, but also thinking about where we might see echoes of that in our own lives. Um, I think, you know, 
resisting some of the consumerism of Hanukkah is also one way to get back to the original spirit of Hanukkah, which is about how do you stay true to yourself and your people and um, and not about, you know, accumulating <laughs> um, treasures. Um, you know, and I think I think there's just a model, even if you uh, – you know, the story, as you said, is very gory, and so there's a lot – it's a hard story to teach because it seems so violent. Like, it's not like we want to suggest that people should just go cut the heads off of people. Um, but I think that one of the thing that's, things that's really interesting in the story of Judith is that, though certainly uh, the the final act is a bloody one, um, it's, it's interesting that in the midst of this war, the only casualty in this particular battle between Judith and Holofernes is Holofernes, right? And he's been – you know, his army has laid siege to um, the Jewish communities, the, you know, the Israelite communities. And one of the things that is said in the story is that lots of people were starving, particularly children. And so, you know, it's it's a model of how do you resist in a way that uh, does not have a lot of collateral damage as opposed to, you know, laying siege where everyone is collateral damage. And I think thinking about that, too, sort of how do we pursue the aims that we need to to save our people without hurting a lot of other people? How do we really try to be focused in the way that we um, pursue justice? And how do we think about that, about humanity in those terms as well? Those are things that feminist activists have to think about all the time because we really are on a cause. We're trying to help our people. And there are risks that if we don't, we're not careful that we can hurt other people on the way. So I love that we have this time to think about that and to remember that story. Yeah, absolutely. We can think more broadly. You know, it's like it's a very particular story, um, you know, in its biblical context about war and about uh, fighting back. But I think we can also just think about what, is what what might be metaphorically under siege in our communities um, and what are the things that we are trying to fight back against and how do we how do we do that in ways that um, that can really turn the tide like what is our role and not just waiting for someone else to take care of it but saying even as someone who might seem like I have no power right like women were not a, a widow was one of the most powerless people in society for her to say, I'm not going to wait around to be saved. I'm going to think about how I can use the power that I have creatively and um, and try to contribute. And so I think there's a feminist message there, too. Like, you don't need to look at the traditional power structures to think that those are the only ways to make change. You can think about what resources you have at your disposal and um, and try to be creative and activist within those. Yeah, I love that. And I love the surprising nature of the story that we're not waiting for your stereotypical war hero to save us. Exactly. Which is something that I think is a good metaphor for lots of things. (laughs) A lot of times we're waiting for the stereotypical hero in some sort of a situation to step in and take care of things when really we need to look at what can I do personally. Yeah, and I think also to think about, you know, like I think especially – now, I think many of us feel a, a sort of a sense of paralysis. Like there's so many things that are broken in our world and it can be, it can be really, just, you know, we, we can, I think we can fall prey to despair. And I think the story of Judith reminds us not to, that there, yes, there are many things that are under siege and, um, and yet we don't have to 
despair, we can take action. We don't have to wait around to be saved. We can take action and um, and to just think creatively about what that means. All right, before we close, can you tell us a little bit more about the Jewish Women's Archive and what people will find if they go and visit there? Absolutely. So I would love for people to come to JWA.org to check out all the resources we have, but I can say a little bit more about what those are. Um, we really we serve an audience all over the world, people of all ages and backgrounds and genders. Uh, we have so much information on our site. We really started as a resource to make the stories of Jewish women accessible around the world. So we have material that ranges from the more academic material like an encyclopedia and primary sources to um, online exhibits and a blog and a podcast and really try to put out Jewish women's stories and experiences and accomplishments in many different kinds of forms so that people can engage with it and bring it into their lives and their um, and their communities. And we also do work with teens to train them to be our leaders of the future um, and also with educators so that they're bringing the stories of Jewish women into the classroom. Um, and we also have many oral history resources because we want the public to be our partners in uh, documenting history and building the archive of Jewish women. So we actually are just launching a new uh, mobile app called Story Aperture that uh, is designed to enable people to do short interviews and then share them with us and with our and archive them with us. So we have different tips and question sets, and you can record right in your phone and then upload it to JWA. Wonderful. We will make sure to include links to those resources. Yes, but definitely your your podcast listeners might be interested in our podcast, which is called Can We Talk? Uh, And you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for having this chat with me. Thanks so much for inviting me. I really enjoyed it.